Welcome to She Wonders, produced by Bright House, where wondering leads to wonder, and wonder can change the minds of the people who can change the world. We're bringing together business and thought leaders to discover new insights to workplace issues. I'm Ashley Grice, CEO at Bright House and your host. In the wake of a tumultuous 2020, how can we build a brighter 2021? In this conversation, we'll talk about the power of dreaming and how we, as communities, individuals, and businesses, might reimagine the future. Our guest today is Angela Ogantala. She's a director at Grayspace, a foresight and design consultancy. She is a futurist who works with organizations to envision and transition towards desirable futures. Thank you for joining us, Angela. Thank you for having me. Let's start our conversation with a simple word dream. What does dreaming mean to you? How does it relate to imagination? When I think about dreaming, for me, in a lot of ways, it's very removed from this sense that I have a task, I'm here to solve a problem. Then it is being able and willing to sit with a certain kind of openness, expansiveness, to not just think about fixing problems, but to think about possibilities to be able to dream about, if we did look at something out in the world, to really just imagine what would an entirely different system, a new world, a new set of interconnected interactions. And I think that is very different from the way many of us, especially at work in our everyday lives, are used to thinking, because I think it is focused on solving problems and executing, which is very different than dreaming and imagination. I am stuck on this this idea of being able to see a much bigger worldview out there, even maybe without knowing specifically how you get there. And I'm curious, I've got some, I've got two teenagers. I have a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old, and I'm always talking to them about the value of imagination, the idea of thinking about the future that they could have but not necessarily needing to make decisions on what that is, to think about trying to be expansive. Do you think that there's value in almost almost sitting in stasis of imagination, or does it need to drive to immediate outcome? I think one of the most beautiful ways that we can foster uh, imagination and dreaming is when we do separate it from immediate outcome. I think you need a certain amount of meandering. You need a certain amount of not having some prefixed destination that you're going to move towards. If you don't build this sense of fluidity and comfort with imagination without necessarily needing to turn it into some sort of product service action, if you don't build that space, you, in some ways it'll never feel deep enough or expansive enough, or you'll never have enough time where you've committed to yourself to slow down, to really look at the world anew. You know, you, we look at this pandemic and when people ask me, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen? I think it is the sense of collective imagination that people have for a a long period of time, for decades now, I think we've lost some of our sense of radical imagination and being able to do it together. The concept of embracing expansiveness feels so freeing to me, but it also feels like in times of overt uncertainty that that might be a luxury. Can you tell me why it's so important to create a space for dreaming when, as humans, we are often trying to just block and tackle on a daily basis? What benefit 
does dreaming give us in that situation? So I think that the first thing you mentioned about this sense that this might be a luxury, I think that's one of the first things that we need to kind of grapple with and say that this is not a luxury. This is exactly the moments in times of uncertainty where we should create the space to dream, where we should create the space for that expansiveness. Because if we don't, then we continue to move through the same ways of maybe trying to, again, solve the same problem or do the same things because we feel like we almost have a responsibility to that urgency. And I see it as such a critical false dichotomy that we need to nip in the bud, which is people saying, I was so caught up fixing the problem, I never noticed the possibility. We need to challenge each other on some of our assumptions about what the next step from this uncertainty should be. And we need that space. Without that space, we'll feel less of a sense of this interconnectedness. And that's going to take a level of trust and a level of creating the space for us to kind of take this slowly together. I love this point of view because you're taking something that to many seems so ephemeral, the concept of dreaming and turning it rather into responsibility, something that if you are going to achieve your best collective vision, you have to do this. It is vital to how you approach your every day. What are some of the conditions that we need to dream together? First thing we need to do is to say that this is everyone's responsibility. This is everyone's job. You know, we're very comfortable with children saying, you know, I'm willing to dream. I can dream in all of these ways about the way the world, the way I could be different. And then once we start adulting, we kind of relegate and segregate who has the who has the skill or who has the uh, mandate for dreaming. Everyone has a role to play in, in dreaming about what it's going to take for us to move towards our version of the future that we believe in. And sometimes in the work that I do is Yes, we do the scenarios and visioning work, and we do some of the designing the aspects to actually welcome people into a future. But sometimes we're there for people to just see themselves with a sense of agency and responsibility. And I think that that's the most important thing is starting out with that permission to imagine, that mandate to imagine, and with everyone knowing that it's a shared responsibility. I love how you were framing this sense of dreaming as agency and responsibility because it relates um, very much to our day-to-day, for example, at Bright House. One of our purpose principles here draws on that childlike piece that you touched on, and we have it from wonder to wonder. The idea of thinking through, imagining differentiated futures, and then making sure that we take that sense of delight and nuance and difference into our work for clients. And I think when we speak to clients about this, they are intrigued by it, but it's hard for them to imagine how to put it into their own work. Do you have experience you might be able to relate about how you've taken a client aside and said, imagination and dreaming is so important. Let me show you how to put it into your work. In some ways, you almost have to find ways to suspend disbelief to allow people to almost remove themselves from their expertise and from their histories to say, how can we think about this maybe in a new way, maybe in a more collective way? And we move through a number of different uh, stages in that work with, with these education leaders to bring them to a point where 
they first needed to align on their values, remove all of the technology, all of the, you know, innovation out of it and first say, we are leaders. We do have agency. We can shape education in the ways that we believe. Let us unpack our values. Let us do that together. Let's figure out how we want to collaborate. And then we'll talk about the actions. This sense of dreaming, this sense of inevitability, does that translate across cultures or said in a different way? Do people in different parts of the world dream differently? That is such an interesting question. And what I can say about that is that in my personal work, some of the times that have been the most transformative is when I've been in a brainstorming session or with colleagues from around the world thinking about new products, services, environments, whatever it is we're working on. And I state something with a certain amount of certainty, like, okay, based on what we're seeing so far from our research, I think we should experiment or trial or start to design things in this way. And then to be called out by colleagues that say, but that's not how time works in Japan. But that's not our image of success in Nigeria. That's not our, you know, understanding of our histories, which are completely interconnected with our futures. I think that is one of the most beautiful and transformative moments for others to in a way, challenge your dreams, which I think is a beautiful thing. I don't, I don't think it's in any way negative or it's something that we should kind of stay away from, like welcoming people into our dreams for them to say, have you thought about it this way? I think being in spaces with just a diversity of thoughts, perspectives, cultures, histories is one of the best things that you can do if you do want to build robust dreams that are inclusive, that are sustainable, that will move the world towards a better place than, than where we're at now. I think in my experience that creating a culture of dreaming when it has not been traditionally rewarded in business per se is a difficult endeavor. How do you guide organizations to create this kind of culture when it doesn't come easily for them or when it's not intuitive to them? I think you need to know the audience that you are dealing with. So we've worked, for example, in finance, and we've started out with a certain story when we knew a certain uh, bank wanted to transform from being this institution that felt very old and stable. They've been around for a long time. So the organization had a difficult time with more innovative thinking, with more radical thinking, with thinking about the future. And some of the language that we were using initially, we saw it wasn't working. So I think it's completely legitimate then to say the goal is to move people along this journey where they can dream. And what is it going to take? I actually have these kind of conversations with a good friend inside of BCG. He's the managing director and a senior partner and chairs the BCG Henderson Institute. His name is Martin Reeves. And he recently wrote a book called The Imagination Machine, which was around how to spark new ideas and create companies' futures. One of the things he talks about is the concept of under pressure. One of the first things we can lose is imagination. But imagination and collective imagination is one of the things we need most, especially in crisis. How, as an expert in, in this field, do you work with people to not only change the way they think through environment, but also then come together to be able to take their different points of view and collectively imagine a future? I think one of the most important things that you need to do, especially in times of crisis or uncertainty, is just take a moment to 
collectively uh, acknowledge what everyone is feeling and what everyone is going through. And having people being able to walk through, you know, what they believe led us to this point, like really unpacking that together systemically, take the time to unpack that challenge. Why have we arrived at this challenge at this point in our existence? What is the narrative that we've been carrying with us that kind of made us want to shape the world in this way? And so sometimes that comes to light that it's bigger is better, time is money, whatever, you know, a a certain root myth or narrative or story is and giving people the space and the time to to go through that diagnosing of whatever they need to diagnose together. It's nice to think that with the prompts you've given that you can create that kind of environment that allows dreaming. You talked about environment around camaraderie, around space, around time. Something as we sit still within the pandemic, I wonder, does one need optimism to dream well? I think that's going to depend on how we define optimism. Because optimism should not be defined as what is frictionless and familiar, as if you're somehow being, um, you know, sometimes you can see it like, oh, they're being negative or pessimist to critique why something is failing us in the first place. But I think that only through critique and only through someone first saying, we should not accept that. Can we open up the space for thinking about alternatives? Angela, I want to thank you from the bottom of my brain for allowing us to embrace expansive thinking, for finding value in dwelling in the rituals of imagination, for exploring the gray space with us, and really to for allowing us to experience what variable, desirable futures look like when the future seems so uncertain to so many people. Thank you so much uh, for having me with you today, and thank you for your questions. It's always so interesting to be able to sit with these questions and then maybe even at a certain point tomorrow to say, ah, I've updated my belief systems. I mean, in some way, and maybe I didn't know it when I was answering this question, but through your prompt and through our collective, you know, dreaming in some ways, this question and answering and, and reflection, you know, it moves me towards some different understandings. So I really want to thank you for having me today and for being in conversation with me. Thanks so much for listening to the She Wonders podcast produced by Bright House. Be sure to check out our episode on using the wisdom of our ancestors to guide our way forward.